following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, it is our LGBTQ panel. We are going to discuss probably what some people will consider a bit controversial. At least every time we bring this up, we get uh, some comments. But we're going to talk about uh, children who express uh, gender identity issues. And as a parent, uh, what you can do about it. Do you let your child express their gender? Do you offer treatment? I mean, there's all kinds of questions that I have, but we have uh, one One of our uh, panelists is, is truly the expert uh, on this. I mean, she's written uh, books on supporting trans and gender uh, creative youth. She supports families. Uh, she's the co-founder of Gender Creative Kids Canada. So if you have questions for her, that'll be after 10.15. But first... Calling's not the only way to connect. The inbox is easy and always open at 514-800. Remember that you can always email me your questions as well to laurie at drlaurie.com. So I got this one email, which is like literally when I printed it up three pages long. So I will spare you most of the details, but I want to share some of it with you. Uh, just to, it's a good illustration to how some topics really connect with people who've experienced uh, similar things. And it, it can sometimes be like an aha moment. Uh, so this says, hi, Dr. Lori. First off, I just want to say how much I like your show. I try to listen as often as possible. I was listening mm-hmm. to the one about sex with a psychopath a few weeks ago and had some questions regarding this subject. I read Dr. Seth Meyer's article on the subject, and along with the comments you made of the characteristics you described on your show, I was wondering if my personal experience falls under a psychopathic person. He has several of the characteristics described, doesn't have successful relationships, absence of emotional connection and true empathetic feeling, no lasting, sustainable connection, oriented around getting his most important needs met, a pro at seducing, calculated game, motivated by power, amazing sex, mastered art of performance, engages in promiscuous sexual behavior, more about boosting ego. Sounds like a winner, right? Uh, Fills boredom, he often feels, moderate to high anxiety, excessive force flattery, creating a sense that the two share a deep, almost destined connection and asking extremely personal questions. He never says ever, uh, sorry, uh, and yet there's no draining of bank account, n- not aggressive, no illegal crimes, not an extrovert. So there's a difference between, so psychopaths j- tend to be on the criminal side, but then you have narcissism that is, it doesn't have to be criminal, right? But certainly all of these traits fall within a narcissistic uh, um, personality. And it goes on and on to describe more things that he does. Um, She says that, uh, you know, he's more interested in his phone and his Twitter followers than anything else. Does that ring a bell? Uh, And says, I've never met someone as self-centered as him. Uh, But goes on to say that they're not really in a relationship. Like it, it was very confusing to me what kind of relationship they actually have. But she writes, I'm very curious to know what type of person I'm dealing with. Um, and I, there's, I could go on and on about all the other, uh, character traits. So 
I think, you know, you know exactly who you are dealing with without even needing to put a label on this. So if this is somebody who you just want to have sex with and hang out with uh, and you're not emotionally invested in, that's one thing. They make great friends, right? Great party people and and such. So you can have a good time, but you can't expect much uh, in return. If you want something more, if you actually want a relationship, then this may not be the guy for you. I mean, the yes, he sounds narcissistic. I'm not about to diagnose anybody I've never met. So don't, you know, I'm, I'm talking in general, the things that you described, describe narcissistic traits. Um, but I mean, he doesn't seem to prioritize you in any way. He does what he wants when he wants from what you're, from your writing. So he is who he is. You're choosing to be with somebody like that. And if it's for the short term or, or it's convenient to both of you, then it's a choice uh, that you make. But let me tell you, if you're looking for a long-term healthy relationship, that one does not exactly uh, sound like uh, like he could offer you that. So if you're hanging around hoping that he's going to change, you can hold your breath, you know, a long time. Like that's not going to happen. Um, probably not. My question is about the clitoris stimulation. All the women I've ever been with have no complaints. Okay, good for you. Uh, I always go down on a woman for at least 10 minutes before penetration, but all have said the penetration was better than the, uh, than the oral sex. So, um, I guess you're making a statement, asking a question. Uh, it can be very different for women. So women who the oral sex creates all of the clitoral stimulation where they can get to their peak of arousal and then the penetration can, uh, you know, could help either get for them to get to that point, or they've already had an orgasm through, which is more likely through the oral, um, stimulation. And then, uh, it's easier if there's already been an orgasm to then have an, an orgasm with penetration, as long as there's still some form of clitoral contact, whether it's pressure depends on the position or what have you. Usually it has to do with uh, positioning and uh, and the pressure put on that. And, th- and then there are uh, 25% of women who have uh, orgasm through intercourse and don't need the clitoral stimulation directly in the same way. So uh, it depends who you've been with, you know. Uh, and not to mention that some women fake it too during intercourse because they feel pressured to because it like the assumption that all women should have orgasms through intercourse or that that's what men expect. That's what they see in porn. So that's uh, sometimes what men expect, which of course is not, uh, uh, no, uh, <laughs> it's not likely for the majority of women. I heard that weightlifting can cause pelvic floor dropping or loosening. I heard kegels are good for this and there are weights that can go into the vagina. Can some workouts besides kegels work to strengthen these areas like hip thrusts or do they do more harm than good? So for sure, heavy lifting can impact a pelvic floor, especially if it's not done properly because it puts pressures on those muscles. Remember when you are lifting something heavy, you need a a strong core 
to do this properly and not to damage your back, for example. So uh, if you're a weightlifter, then it's important to have a strong pelvic floor and you can, uh, and, and make sure that you have the right posture when you are lifting weights. If you're older and menopausal, or maybe you've recently given birth, then you're at higher risk for damaging your pelvic floor. The exercises that strengthen your pelvic floor include all kinds of abdominal exercises, like you would do in Pilates, for example, uh, hip thrusts, also a Pilates exercise, and others that a trainer can actually help you with. Uh, Kegels can also be helpful with weights. There's a company called um, uh, Lavana. Uh, They're spheres. I've used them before with clients. They're Lavana spheres by Vivillo. The um, website is sdvariations.com, and you can see them there. And those are there's like a whole little exercise program that goes with that. It's like a little booklet, and it tells you how to use these. And they're weighted balls that you keep in your vagina, and, and it helps you strengthen your pelvic floor. You can also visit a pelvic floor physiotherapist that can also help you uh, talk about this and, and help you strengthen that area, or at least assess if it's weak or not. So those are some of the things that you uh, can do. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Tonight it is our LGBTQ panel, and before I introduce you to my esteemed uh, guests, I want to share this story that I read and which prompted me to uh, want to discuss this particular topic. The headline was, uh, British parents are raising money through a crowdfunding campaign to appeal court rulings that remove their transgender children from their care. The parents maintained that their trans kids were taken away from them because the courts disagreed with their gender affirming parenting, an approach that means a trans child will be listened to and supported. Uh, The parents lost custody of their trans kids through rulings made by judges sitting in family court. In one of the cases being supported, um, a mother lost custody of her seven-year-old child when a family court judge uh, ruled that allowing her child to live life entirely as a girl had caused the child significant emotional harm. In the ruling, the judge said it was striking that the mother and social services used feminine pronouns for her child. I pause here to emphasize, emphasize that the child was at this stage between four and six years of age. Uh, the judge, uh, crit- and somebody criticized local uh, authority social service staff who had moved into, I quote the judge, into wholesale acceptance that the boy should be regarded as a girl. He gave custody of the child solely to the father in a ruling issued after private hearings in the family division of the high court in uh London. He's, the judge said, I was also left in no doubt that the mother was absolutely convinced that the child perceived himself as a girl and said his overwhelming impression was that the woman believes herself to be fighting for her child's right to express himself as a girl. I consider that the mother has caused significant emotional harm to her child in her active determination that he should be a girl. It is important that such children are listened to and their views afforded respect, but to my mind, they are ill-served by premature labeling. And so this mother 
lost custody of her children. I know that this happens. I don't know how much it happens here, but maybe uh, our guests tonight will best uh, be able to answer this. So uh, one of our usual guests, McGill University professor and um, LGBTQ activist, Bill Ryan is here. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Hi, good evening. Hi. Plus, we also have the number one authority on this subject in Canada, Dr. Annie Poulain Sans Façon. She's a professor at the University of Montreal. She holds the Canada Research Chair on Transgender Children and Their Families. She co-authored a book, Supporting Trans and Gender Creative Youth, Schools, Families, and Communities in Actions, in Action, and she co-founded Gender Creative Kids Canada, a Montreal-based community organization working with trans children and youth and their families. So no better expert to be able to address these issues. Am I right? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll try to, to give a few opinion here, but, uh, you know, I'm sure we can have a good conversation. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So what do you think about the situation that I just uh, described? Well, um, you know, I think overwhelming the evidence show that uh, the best thing to do is really to support the gender identity of the child, that, that affirm gender identity. So if the child is affirming that they are a girl, the best thing to do is really to follow their lead and, you know, affirm them in that gender identity. Um, so the case where the mother got their child taken away is according to what uh, you know we see in research would be the wrong thing to do okay uh, yes yeah. So, and I do want to look at the research because yeah. it's not, this is not just about opinions and what have you. I think th- what we like to do in this show is bring some evidence-based yeah. information to the public, even though it's a hot button issue, because when we've talked, and Bill, I think you remember this, when we've talked about this, we, we've had comments like, uh, oh, so if your child says they're uh, a dog, you're going to treat them like a dog. You know what I mean? Like the, mm-hmm. things like that. So do you remember that, Bill, where we've had those? Yeah situations right those kinds of texts exactly so mm-hmm. i know that that is the reaction of of many people but what does the research show first of all in terms of the um expression of um like in gender dysphoria for example when what age do we normally or, or commonly see that come out first Okay, well, literature shows that gender identity start developing around two, three years old, might start consolidating around six, seven years old. Okay. Our research has shown, uh, and this is kind of new stuff that we've published not long ago, it shows that there's like different kind of um, um, trajectories of, of gender identity development. So, so we don't want to get into a place where we say, oh, well, the child didn't express their gender identity by six, seven. That means they're not... Whatever. Yeah. Right. So it's, I think it's really important to understand that, you know, different people will go through different trajectories and it's all fine. What we found uh, looking at uh, gender identity in, uh, in youth uh, in Canada and in Switzerland, so we did like comparison between the two countries, mm-hmm. is that there's at least three different uh, gender identity development pathways. So there's some young people who will start asserting their gender identity really young, like, you know, two, three, four, five years old, like well before puberty. And they will be like insisting on that. Um, Some will have the chance to be affirmed by their parents. And this is great. You know, they will carry on to live like that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the way that they are feeling. But some young people, they will, when we look at them and we talk to them, they will say, well, 
you know, since I'm I'm young, I know that there's something that is different about me, but I've never felt like that I could say it. Right. So they all feel like constraint, uh, you know, from the external kind of world around them. Sometimes it may be parents stopping them to talk about it. Sometimes it might be a comment that was said to them and they just said, oh, no, I can't get there. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it might be fear. And what we see is that there's a third trajectory that it's a, it's a group of young people who were just navigating gender in a way that were not disturbing them when they were young. So they never kind of realized that there was something different about them in terms of gender, but it's when puberty hits that they're starting to kind of feel really kind of, you know, uh, troubled. You know, mm-hmm. they feel like there's something stirring within themselves, and now that's when they, they kind of are facing themselves. So there's okay. kids who are like affirm really young. There's, there's kids who are more silent about the gender, but they know about it and they don't affirm it before a little bit later. And there's some kids who don't really kind of understand there's something happening to them when they're young. And it just comes out when they're a little bit, you know, uh, older, often right. when puberty hits. So how do you know, uh, Dr. Sanfasson, how do you know if it's a phase, if it's something that, that, a kid grows out of. I mean, most parents who hear this kind of hope that this is just a phase and, you know, they're just testing things and, and it's not uh, it's not something that they should really worry about. Like, how often is it just a phase? And how often does a, a child express it that young uh, and then change their minds? Okay, there's lots of question in that. I mean, I think it's important to, 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 to not focus on outcome. You know, because it's it's really difficult to um, to distinguish. Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to be? I mean, it's 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 impossible. Nobody's got a crystal ball right. about who's going to feel how in ten years, in right. fifteen years, in twenty. Years. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to feel in ten years. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to feel next week. Yes. <laughs> no, but you understand. It, it, yes. We don't have a crystal ball, so I think we need to kind of change the way we see we see things and 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 look more about the process you know what what's in front of me you know mm-hmm. is the child the child like wanting to play with some toys of some sort or you know do they want to be kind of called a certain name what's going on here and i think you know what we what we we're really young eh, in terms of like research in this area so i can tell you what we know but what we know is that young people who are affirm in their gender, you know, kids who say, you know, mom, I'm a girl, and they are affirm in that gender as a girl or a boy or, you know, gender neutral or whatever they feel, mm-hmm. those kids have got much better mental health outcome than okay. those who are not allowed to be experiencing their gender, okay? Okay, that's very so, important because yes. it because as parents... We don't want to be damaging our children. We want to know what is the best way to approach this based on outcomes, based on on the research. What is the what is the best mental? You know, what what will lead to better mental health rather than? Unfortunately, we've talked about this on the show many times um, in terms of uh, suicide rates in in uh, young trans people as well. Right. Whoops. What do we have here? Bill, are you there? I'm here. Oh, I think, uh, and I think we might have lost Annie. <laughs> uh, we've got Dr. Annie Poulain Sans Façon. She is a professor at University of Montreal, 
Uh, we're going to get Jimmy to uh, give her a call back. I'm not sure what, what happens there, but she is the authority on this. And, and Bill, thanks for uh, reaching out and bringing her to us because uh, she really is the authority here. Huh? She, she is the authority, yes. Right. And uh, has taken on that role for uh, the country in the last few years. Just so, while she's not on the line, um, there was also a story came out of British Columbia where a judge blocked the teenager from undergoing gender-affirming double mastectomy in Vancouver, mm-hmm. granting the 17-year-old's disapproving mother an order to stop the operation the day before it was scheduled to go ahead, which is wow. very problematic just in terms of, you know, age of consent mm-hmm. and, and self-determination. In, uh, in most provinces, that would not be possible for a court to do. Right. Well, the age of medical consent uh, is is what? I think it's 14, but not if you have to have an operation or stay overnight. Right. It depends on the province. Okay. So each province is, is yeah. different. I need well, back, I think. Okay, well, we're, we're going to break, actually, but uh, this is something, of course, we're going to talk about because I want to, uh, we, we talked about um, the outcomes, like if a parent ha- handles it one way, what is it, is it most likely to be hurtful or uh, beneficial to the kids? So I think as parents, and for myself too as a parent, I think it's really important that we understand how to handle situations when you have a child who's born one way but expresses another uh, another gender wants to be um, treated in that way so we'll a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship it's passion with cgad 800's dr Lori batito Tonight with our LGBTQ panel, we are talking about transgendered uh, children uh, and talking about how to deal with this, whether you're a parent or what have you. We have uh, Canada's number one authority on this subject, Dr. Annie poulain Sanfasson. She's a professor at the University of Montreal. She's the co-founder of Gender Creative Kids Canada which is an organization working with trans children and youth and their families and is a researcher in this field, so well-positioned. Plus our usual uh, guest here, he's been with us for many years, uh, Professor uh, McGill University Professor Bill Ryan, who is also has been an activist for the LGBTQ community for many, uh, many years. So I just want to share a couple of text messages here for you guys. Uh, I am a gay man in my 50s, only out of the closet 20 years ago. Even though I've known I was different from the rest of the guys, I was always confident being a man. I cannot imagine the emotional struggle when a youth starts questioning their identity. They are more fortunate growing up today with much needed support. Just a few years ago, a high school in Westmount retrofitted a washroom uh, to bring non to being non-gender specific. This would not be considered normal even 20 years ago. My heart and support goes out to our youth finding their true self. Thank you for that. Another text writes, a million thanks. I'm crying again about this. And from a regular listener, another texter says, I don't get it. How can anyone judge or not be given the absolute power to negate someone's choice and expression of gender identification? That's a personal intimate choice and human right. Everyone's entitled to and negating anyone that right is violating one's personal integrity, which ironically the law is designed to protect. Except many people would argue that uh, kids can't make the choice, right? I hear that argument a lot. Well, 
kids. They can't make that choice. We're their parents. We have to kind of make that uh, that choice. So, uh, so I, I'd just like to make a, a comment please. in terms of the reactions that you that you just read because I'm extremely happy to hear reactions like that, and I think it's a good sign that our society has evolved enormously and quickly on these issues. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I echo, I echo Bill's. I mean, I, I think it's consulting to hear that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Someone else says, actually, uh, do we know what percentage of the population identify as trans? The topic is an eye-opener for, for the average layman. Bravo. So, uh, yeah, a little bit different than uh, maybe years back, Bill, when we would get kind mm-hmm. of blasted for talking about this. Yes. Yes, <laughs> so th- times have changed. That's, times that's, are changing. That's a good thing, a good yeah. Thing. Do we know the percentage of the population that identifies trans? Is it something like 1% or something like that? Do we it- know? It's, um, I think it's about 1.8% now if you look at American statistics on trans youth. Okay. But you need to tell yourself that these are probably very conservative uh, numbers because, you know, to, to well, first of all, to identify uh, as trans, you need to, to recognize yourself. So you need to have a model around you to be able to understand. And second, it's not a guarantee that when you get a survey, you'll want to kind of tick huh. that box. So <laughs> That's it's true. That there's more people uh, than that. Right. Uh, but it would say between 0.7 to 1.8 probably at the moment. Okay. Uh, so we, we mentioned earlier uh, trans-affirming, um, I guess, practices or ways that we can be trans-affirming. What does that exactly mean? And what does it mean for a parent who may be faced with the situation with a seven-year-old, say, who um, maybe wants to be, you know, called, wants to be considered a girl if they're a boy and, and wants to wear dresses to school and all of that stuff. How do we, as parents, deal with that? And then even, not just parents, but then schools, the community, like it's much wider reaching than just within the family unit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, for seven years old, I mean, the only thing that, uh, you know, parents should do is to support their kids to be themselves. Uh, You know, if if that involves like a social transition, which means that the child starts using the right name, the correct pronoun for their identity, uh, you know, dress differently, the way that they feel they should be dressing. You know, that's that's the good way to do. Um, as the child will grow a little bit older, they might feel they need to have access to some medical uh, intervention. They might not. Right? Not every kid, not every people will need to have that. But if they do, uh, it's really important that they have prompt access to it. Uh, you know, recent research shows that, you know, waiting and waiting to, to get access to care, for example, uh, almond blockers, you know, increase uh, the risk of suicide. You know, they will deteriorate the, the mental health. So it's really important that, you know, a trans-affirming practice is a practice that will follow the, 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 the child's rhythm, the child's lead, but will also give access to different forms of transition depending on the age. Uh, it's very, very clear, you know, listener, listener needs to understand that there's no medical intervention on children. That's something that sometimes, oh, yeah, you know, they do surgery on children. No, there's no such thing. Okay. You know, when they're young, it's just about letting them express themselves the way they want. When they get older, when they hit puberty, sometimes they might need some, some sort of uh, intervention. Uh, the first type of intervention is, is, uh, is not permanent. So the child, it just kind of buys time to the child. 
And as they kind of grow older, they can get different other, you know, um, surgical, inter- uh, no, sorry, um, medical intervention that might be semi-permanent up to surgery later if they want to, because not everyone will want that. Right. But it's really important about to give the, 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 the young person the different options so that the person can choose for themselves what's right for their body, for their, for their, for their mental health. Right. But you know, you're going to have parents who say, no, my, my child, they're just a baby. They can't, they can't possibly make such a big decision. They're only 12 years old. Uh, or don't, do you think that the first line of defense is that parents will go immediately to see a psychiatrist, for example? Well, parents go through all sorts of emotion and Mm -hmm. feelings when they hear about their, their kids. And it's, it's, you know, it's it's okay. I mean, most parents will go through different, you know, emotions. Some parents will go through shock. There's some parents who will go through grieving, mm-hmm. grieving of what they hope for their child to be in the future, you know, all sorts of emotions. But it's, it's really about understanding the parents, but also about educating the parents. Because when we start talking to parents and explaining them that, to stop the child affirming their gender is not good for their mental health, you know? I mean, suicide is still very, very high among trans youth. We just kind of had a new research published this week, you know, still among trans youth, 64% still consider suicide, 64% of them self-harm. So it's a population that is vulnerabilized. You know, if we're not there to support them, they they are at risk of experiencing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of adversities, um, you know, social, but also, you know, personal difficulties like, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, and stuff like that. So it's really important that parents educate themselves. And, and, you know, yes, it might be uh, surprising, scary, you know, parents might go through all sorts of emotions, but they need to understand that evidence point towards like support your kids that's what's going to give them the best outcome and you know what be there fully not Mm. as just um, a neutral kind of i'll tolerate you in your gender identity right because that does not give good mental health outcomes right i mean it's not tolerance it's acceptance there's a difference yeah we have to take a short break but coming back uh i want to share a text which shows kind of a a not an understanding of what trans identity or or gender identity is all about maybe we'll we just need to explain it a bit better so that's coming up Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Tonight, our uh, passion, our passion LGBTQ panel, is discussing uh, gender identity issues in children and how best to handle it. And I just want to share this: I don't care if a boy wants to be a girl or vice versa, but no matter how you slice it, your birth gender is yours for life, and all the magic in Hollywood cannot change it. It's biological and unchangeable. But that is a black and white thinking about what gender is, and research has shown us so much more. Bill, how would you answer this person? Well, um, I'd actually like to hear Annie answer this as well. Okay. But but I think that, um, you know, what we've learned is, is is that the binary system that we all functioned under for much of the last, you know, period of civilization 
we real, we've realized in the last half century that it just doesn't work for so many people, mm-hmm. and that and that being liberated from this, you're either this or that, and you have to be either this or that, um, is going to mean that a lot more people are going to live free lives and situate themselves where they feel most comfortable, not where people tell them they have to be. Right. And Dr. Annie Poulin-Saint-Passant, professor at the University of Montreal who studies this and who's written a book, Supporting Trans and Gender Creative Youth, as well. What would you say to that? Well, I would I would echo what Bill said, and I would add um, that, I mean, I'm, I'm not a biologist, but what I read is that there's much more than just two genders, <laughs> two sex in terms of chromosome and and different kind of uh, sexual uh, gonade. Yeah. So, so I think we need to kind of maybe we don't hear about it very often, but we need to understand that you know there's much more than uh, X Y and X X. Yeah. There are actually over ten markers. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you know, to say well, a person is sick because they've got, and we don't even know what we've got as gene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows? You know, right. who knows what we've got? So. Uh, so, so I think we need to kind of uh, to think about about right. this like a little bit differently than right. the binary uh, for for all the reasons Bill right. mentioned in terms of like social, but also because there's other stuff in terms of biology. Exactly, it's not just about whether you have a vagina or you have a penis. The exactly. mar- the markers for gender, uh, like I said, there are over ten of them. Uh, biological markers so you can't it's really a narrow way of uh, of actually looking at it but Bill as a psychotherapist you work in this area as well do you want to share some of your experiences well um, two things one is um, I don't work directly with children but I as a psychotherapist but I do as an educator and I do a lot of speaking at schools Mm -hmm. and I have to tell you that I am so impressed with the openness and acceptance of um, children in primary schools and in high schools in CGEPs today who seem to understand these concepts that for so many of us as adults were so difficult to understand. And more and more schools are increasingly welcoming places for trans kids. In fact, the policy of the Ministry of Education of Quebec is very trans-positive and trans-supportive. That doesn't mean that everyone has a positive and supportive experience, but the norm and the ideal is there. Right. But as a psychotherapist, I work a lot with the parents who have trans children. Mm-hmm. And my experience there is that um, by far the majority of parents who come to see me, and of course I'm known as, a, as an LGBTQ positive psychotherapist, mm-hmm. so there may be some bias in that, but that the vast majority of parents who come to see me say, I want to support my child in becoming who they are. I do not want to be an obstacle. Mm -hmm. I want to be educated. I want to be loving. And I want to be the best support that I can be. And that's just... And that's great parenting. Mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. And that is such great parenting, right? Because uh, oftentimes we have these ideas and it, it's our ideas that we want to push onto uh, mm-hmm. our children. And, and that could be for very different things, not just gender identity, but, but many different things, right? 
A couple more texts. Uh, a girlfriend I have has a niece who looks like a female, acts like one, and no one would know she is a male unless she pulled down her pants. And I will say a beautiful woman and great personality. Uh, another one says, I don't care if my 11-year-old son is transgender or not. I just don't think he should worry about it until he's ready to kiss somebody. But it's not about orientation. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to kind of make a, a distinction here that we're not talking about one's orientation, but as how one sees themselves in their identity, which is very, uh, very, very different. Yeah. So um, I'm going to add the, maybe this last question. It's a, it's a bit loaded, but what kind of social change do we need to see? Like what would you, what would be ideal, uh, Bill, as you said, it's changing and you're, you're in the schools and, and schools are far more open and we're talking about it a lot more. What else needs to happen? Bill or? Well, whoever wants to, let's go with Bill first, and then you get the last word. I would say one thing, and I'll let Annie take from there, but mm-hmm. I, I think social representation has to happen, that um, we have to see trans people. Um, and uh, I, I just read this week that Joe Biden named in his transition yes. team uh, for the very first time a trans woman and Sean Skelly yeah yeah I read that too which is you're right and also in Hollywood there's there was a big documentary about this what was the doc there's a documentary on this very issue about trans representation in Hollywood Bill we talked about this last time I I know and I can't pull the name (laughs) see us two old fogies this is what happens you can't (laughs) our memories just don't work and that it's like it's right there. Uh, Annie, Dr. Annie Sanfasson, what would you say? Well, there's still a lot of discrimination. I think we don't want to uh, forget that. Uh, you know, new research shows that 74% of youth, they avoid public washroom, yeah? Uh. So so there's still a lot of, like, uh, you know, uh, fear. Uh, lots of, like, fear that is, like, conducted by transphobia, that is conducted by, by violence. Tomorrow is the Trans Day of Remembrance. There's lots of trans folks who have been murdered, especially trans folks of uh, color, color. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and migrants. So we need to remember that. I think we, we need to keep educating people. We've got good policies in place for trans youth. I think it's important to uh, increase um, training to healthcare providers because if you don't live in the city you will have difficulty to find a healthcare provider to help you with any health issues, but also like gender-affirming care if you need to. Mm-hmm. And also I would say, you know, uh, help like to have schools to have more uh, gender-neutral space or gender-inclusive space uh, so that young people can feel more connected and included everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, there's still a ways to go considering medical schools barely talk about sex period so you know here here you're talking about yet another uh, minority to to talk about and to understand and to have compassion and empathy for uh when uh you know it's not uh, hardly ever uh talked about i wish i could remember the name of the movie it's not trans america that was a that was a, a hollywood film that wasn't a i don't think it was a i'm not sure if that was a true story or not but there was a a documentary which was excellent on Netflix, which it's, talks about. Do you know it, uh, Annie? I think it's Trans Revolution. It's with Laverne Cox. Yes, right? yes, yes. Trans Revolution is that what it was called? Okay, so mm-hmm. it, it was 
Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, some Another texter says, it's too bad that somebody has to act like a boy or act like a girl. It's a shame that we see a distinction between the two. I don't see how being yourself has to, has to be considered an act, entre guillemets, you know, like... Uh, um, it's not an act, you know, it's not so much an act as it is an expression, I think, of whoever that person is and whoever, however they feel. It's a being, right? It's a state of being. It's being authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Being authentic, living authentically. And for so long, people have not had, uh, people have suffered so much because they could not live an authentic life, be it trans or, or, or homosexual or what have you. Uh, but we, I mean, obviously we're, we've gotten some, you know, we're moving along, but there's still quite a ways to go if we still have 74% of youth uh, who won't use a bathroom, <laughs> a public bathroom, and when we still have high suicide rates among trans youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, until we eradicate that, we, we're, we're not there yet. I think right. that's the, uh, the bottom line. Uh, any last words, Bill, that you'd like to share? Well, I think that, again, it's just we're, 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 we are in movement, and I'm really glad to see that so many allies are, are rallying to the cause and hearing public, you know, even the public reactions of the people in the show tonight, sh- mm. showing that uh, we are evolving, and that's, that's we're evolving in the right direction. Right, and I want to go. Exactly, and I want to point out this is evidence based. You know, and this is why I, we we were so happy to have a professor and a researcher in this field. Because it's these are not just opinions. These are this is evidence. This is research that has been done to look at outcomes and to look at the lives of of people in uh, who who suffer from gender identity who don't quite fit the uh, you know the the norm, shall we say? Uh, Dr. Annie Poulin Saint-Façon, thank you so much for your uh, time and your expertise. Such a delight to have you on the show. Yeah. I know there's far more to talk about, so we'll definitely have to have you back on here. <laughs> well, it was a great pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much. Uh, Bill, we will catch up with you uh, next month. All right. Thank you All so right. much for being here. Both of you. Uh, Thank you. you. And thanks to everybody for listening and for your texts. They were very encouraging tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you to our technical producer, Jimmy Garofalis. You can connect with me uh, through my website, drlaurie.com, or you can either send me emails or you can pick up the podcast of all the past shows. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. Hello.